At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it, but what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths, and if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? Well, this morning we're continuing in the series in 1 Timothy. We'll be in chapter 4 together, and we're really answering this question about church. Why bother? Why bother with church? Why are we here this morning? Why do we do church together every week? And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been looking at the first few chapters so far. And what this is, is really a letter from a seasoned ministry person, Paul, writing to a young man in the faith, Timothy, who's a young pastor in Ephesus in that region. And Paul is giving some sage wisdom to Timothy to lead that church. But it's not just for Timothy in that time, it's us as Christians. We take things from this passage to apply to our Christian lives. Uh, It's for us as myself, a pastor and leaders of the church, to take uh, principles and foundations from this letter to apply to how we do church. And if you're with us in the first chapter, in many ways, it's Paul telling Timothy, this is really the message of the church. This is what we're about. We're about Jesus and the gospel and the good news and who he is. And then in chapters 2 and 3, in many ways, it's uh, about people in church. You know, what do I do as a member of the church? What's the structure? And what am I called to do as a man and a woman? And we talked about how we can glorify God together as a church Family And in many ways, chapter 4, what we get into a little bit today is what we can do as followers of Jesus to live for God through his instruction. But also, more specifically, Paul is really calling out the minister, like the leader of church today. And so I'm a little bit on the hot seat. Pastor John, a little bit on the hot seat today. This is an encouragement specifically to Timothy that Paul is giving. Now, it's also uh, important for us as followers of Jesus to lean in because In many ways, what's being addressed is how to continue living for Jesus. I don't know if you're like me, you know, since the pandemic, some things kind of thrown off a few years, over the last few years. I have to admit, there's been seasons where my hunger, my passion for God has kind of wavered. It's been challenging seasons. There's been struggles. And if that hasn't been you in the last few years, then I guess you can come up and preach this message. You know, that would be good uh, if that hasn't been you. It's been a tough time. It's been a tough season uh, living for Jesus, living out his word and the culture around us. And what Paul is encouraging Timothy with this morning is how do you keep the faith? How do you keep the passion for Jesus going? And he instructs Timothy what he instructs leaders and us today as followers of Jesus to keep the faith, watch your life and your doctrine closely. So how do we watch our life and our doctrine as leaders and as followers of Jesus? Well, Paul in many ways lays out three things for Timothy to follow as a leader of this church. And these are three things under the umbrella of watching his life and his doctrine closely. Now, uh, Timothy in the very first verse talks about what is in many ways a threat to this. 
He says, before we get into the scripture of all the verses, just opening it up in the first verse, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So how do we not depart from the faith? How do we keep the faith? How do we as leaders continue to make sure people who come to church and follow Jesus keep the faith? Uh, He really lays this out in verse 16 to kind of bookend the whole chapter. He says this, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, which is what doctrine is in many ways, what we're taught, the foundation of who God is and what his word says it means to be a Christian about Jesus. Persist in this, for so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, notice the connection here. By putting into practice the first half of the verse and keeping a close watch on yourself and your teaching, both Timothy and his congregants can be assured of their salvation and relationship with God. So it's important stuff as we talk about this morning, as we look into God's word. It's how do we keep the faith by watching our life and our doctrine closely. Let's jump into it. You guys ready? All right, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. The first thing we need to do is we have to affirm what is good. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars, those whose conscience are seared who forbid marriages and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So as Paul moves us to the second half of his letter to Timothy, he again dresses one of the major issues plaguing the church. And it's the issue of false teaching or teaching a belief that doesn't align with the scripture of who Jesus is and what he's called us to do as as his followers. Paul reminds Timothy that the Spirit had spoken in later times. And it's a phrase that's used by Paul to describe the time between Christ's ascension and his return. That a number would depart from the faith and he gives the reasoning behind it being false teaching. Now, it's interesting, as we know, as we follow Jesus, there is a battle that's spiritual around us. Life is beyond just the 3D physical world that we see, but there's a spiritual realm where demons or demonic spirits are against God and his people and his word. And this battle plays out before us. Now, it's interesting thinking about ancient times when the Bible and Paul is is walking and talking to Timothy in this time shortly after. There was an emperor named Nero. And Nero was a wicked man who persecuted Christians. He had them burned at the stake and he had them uh, killed by swords going through their stomach. And many, many Christians were persecuted and and killed in this wicked uh, way as Nero was leading and crushing the church. Well, as you think about that, as Christianity was getting stomped and many people were getting killed, more people kept coming to Christ. People were taking it serious, like, do I really believe this and want to live for Jesus? And as people were killed, actually more people kept coming to Jesus. 
But it's interesting, thinking about other ways that the enemy attacks God's people and the world around us, it's not just by killing Christians and by overt persecution. While that happens around us, that happens in the world around us, sometimes it happens through the enemy's deceit and false teaching. It's not just by killing Christians, but it's by the enemy coming to church and falsely teaching Christians. And it's this false teaching that Paul is addressing to Timothy, saying, look, if you're going to lead the church, if you're going to pastor the church, if you're going to preach and teach the church, do it so by my word and in a way with good doctrine. It's so crucial that that's how you lead the church, with God's word and God's doctrine. There's a couple major ways that false teaching can permeate our lives and our culture and the churches around us. The first is this. It's in a way that says that, in a sense, gives a license to sin. A license to sin is a false doctrine, is a false teaching. Anytime a teacher is up here saying something is okay that God says is not okay and gives a license to do those things, that immediately is a red flag to false teaching. Think about the uh, in the Genesis account when Adam and Eve are given a command by God not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What does the enemy do? He speaks this lie to Eve in Genesis 3. And he comes to Eve and first questions, did God really say that? See, false teaching is sometimes twisting God's word. It's something that sounds kind of true. It's like there's a part of scripture in there. There's some kind of a good teaching there, but it takes it out of context of the whole of who Jesus is or what his word is, and it isolates it and it goes against God and what his word says. And what the enemy said is, did God really say you will die? And then goes on to challenge God's word, declaring you will not surely die. See, all false teaching begins with a distortion of God's word. And so we have to be uh, aware as we hear the word of God, as we sit under the teaching of the word of God, to, to filter everything back to the word of God. Is what I'm hearing and being instructed in, is the content that's coming my way, whether it's this morning or anytime you hear God's word and God's teaching or just content is coming towards you, it's filtered in a way that says, is this God's word? Is this from God? And one of those discerning factors you can ask is, is this giving me a license to sin? Well, actually, God desires my holiness, me to look more like Jesus, not like him, me to follow his commands, not break his commands, not to just do what I want, but do what he wants. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy to instruct us in his word and in his way to look more like him. But the second major area that false teaching can come in is in a sense of legalism. So it's not just a license to sin, but it's a legalism that says, don't do this and you will be saved. Don't do this and you will be a holier Christian. You will be better than other Christians. Or maybe don't do this and that's the only way you can be a Christian. And the two specific instances that were happening in that culture and in that time where people were forbidding marriage and requiring abstinence from certain foods in order to be a Christian. And so this false teaching was going on that if you get married, if you're single, then that's not what God would want, that that's not what a Christian should do, or that you should abstain from eating from meat or certain foods. So like as a married guy that likes meat, I'm in trouble, right? If you're single and you're a vegetarian, you're in, you're good. Anything else? 
you know, not so good. And this false teaching was uh, kind of a cultural thing that was going on. And in many ways, the whole food thing and what you eat and what you shouldn't eat comes from a discussion and teaching that came in the Old Testament. If you read the book of Leviticus and some of the law, there were certain foods and things that God commanded that his people shouldn't eat for cleanliness purposes. Now, all of that, all of that teaching was pointing to a bigger thing, that someone was coming who would give us cleanliness that someone was coming that would fulfill this law that we can't fulfill ourselves. That someone was coming that's greater than all these rules and regulations, while important to God's people at that time. Someone was coming to fulfill all of this, and his name is Jesus. He came to save us and to give us his righteousness. He perfectly fulfilled the law of God so that through faith in him and his work on the cross, we could receive forgiveness of sins and his righteousness would be placed on us so we would be seen by, as righteous by God. And so now rules and rituals regarding food aren't what gets us saved. What, us, what we eat doesn't earn our standing with God. It's believing in Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us that gets us a relationship with God. It's interesting. Paul talks a little bit about this. In Colossians chapter 2, he says this in verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. I think that's the heart of good teaching versus false teaching. Are your affections being stirred to Jesus Christ, or are they being taken away from him? Is something being elevated beyond Jesus, his message, and his work? Then that is not the way and words of Jesus. See, this false teaching that was going on to uh, that Paul writes about in Colossians and that he's writing to Timothy, it says when people are arguing about these things, it's like a shadow of the things to come. The substance is what? Jesus. Jesus is the substance. So as we teach the word of God to our families, to our friends, as we hear from the word of God at Woodside on Sundays, we want Jesus proclaimed. We want Jesus lifted up. We want to look to Jesus in our teachings. And that's what Paul is encouraging and reminding Timothy that, look, you have to get your doctrine right because there's false teaching that goes on. And we don't have to do X, Y, and Z to get saved. We don't have to behave to get saved. We believe and receive the free gift of God through what he did on the cross for us. And that's the only way you can experience a relationship with him is through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. But the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of life is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, Timothy, get us on track with Jesus. And that's what our call is as followers of Jesus, is to affirm what is good. Not to have just a license to do what we want or legalism to get in. It's to point to Jesus and his word and to live that out in our relationship with him. The second thing Paul encourages Timothy in is that we train ourselves in godliness. We're called to train ourselves in godliness. Verses 6 through 10 Go like this, if you put these things before the brothers Timothy is talking to, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. 
have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now, Paul calls Timothy to put these things before his congregation. And he says that in the first portion of the, of the scripture. And his first command warns Timothy against this false teaching and being distracted by myths and things that get us off track from Jesus and his word and his ways. Instead, for Paul, Timothy should, he says, put his effort toward being trained in a godly way. He draws these comparisons between training in a, in a physical way and training in a spiritual way. And in that time and age, uh, physical training was very important in the Greco-Roman world. People, you know, uh, pursued athletics and wanted to get fit and have a good body and work out. And all of those things became a great concern. Does it sound a little bit familiar today? In the same way, we can get caught up in how we look and our exercise and our physical fitness so much so that it becomes our life. It becomes now our Sunday morning. It becomes who we are and what we do. And what Paul is saying is that exercise, diet, you can eat some meat. You know, you can be a vegetarian and eat some meat. But diet and exercise, while it's important, it's not what defines you. It's not the only thing that's important as a Christian. What's important is your spiritual life. It's being trained up in a godly way. What's important is looking to Jesus daily and building your relationship with him. What's important are putting things in place in your life that help you look more like Jesus, that help you love other people better, and help you love God better. What does that look like? That could be joining a life group if you're not in one yet. That could be reading scripture and praying with your family before bed or in the morning. That could be during lunch at work, uh, doing a little Bible study in your car or maybe with a coworker. We want to think of ways in our life that we can be trained up in a more godly way, that we can grow to look more like Jesus. See, there's physical fitness plans and trainers and coaches that you can do on the physical training side. We as Christians have to think, what are things I can put in place in my life to look more like Jesus? And how can I encourage others to do that as well? But don't get it twisted. See, there's a big difference between, again, spiritual training and physical training. Because in physical training, the results typically get you a reward that comes on the other side. It's like, Super Bowl Sunday, right? So it's the two biggest football teams, the best football teams coming together, you know, in uh, the, the championship game. And what's happened is these athletes have trained, you know, these athletes have, have uh, worked out, they've done plays, they've studied, they've trained for this pinnacle moment. And what really the world says is if you train in something, you get a result that is earthly, so your prize is, is from earth. It's something that you win at the end of the Super Bowl for those who worked out and trained and had good teamwork at the end. It's going to be either the Eagles or the Chiefs. Someone's going to win the prize from all this training and everything that's going on. As we train as Christians, uh, it's not to earn something from God that he hasn't already given us in Christ. What do I mean by that? We don't train as Christians. We don't come to church on Sundays. We don't read our Bible with our, with, by ourselves or with others to earn God's love, 
to win another award from God, to get on the Jesus team. There's no Jesus tryouts where he quizzes you on every Bible verse you know, how many times you went to church in 2022. Here's the resume for a Jesus follower. I need you, Jesus. I believe in you. It's what Paul says at the end, is that God is the Savior of all people, especially for those who believe. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul is saying he's a universalist, that all people uh, are going to heaven. In fact, Scripture says that there is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the only way to heaven is through belief in Jesus. Otherwise, we're dying apart from him and we go to hell because of the wage of our sins. And so we need to, how do we get in? He says, especially of those who believe. We trust in Jesus. What do we bring to the table? Nothing. It's all God. We just look to him. He died for you. He lived a perfect life and then died for you on the cross. His blood was shed and his body was broken as a penalty and a payment for our sins. So that whoever, anybody, this is the point, it's anybody doesn't matter what you did last year, yesterday, today, what you're wrestling with. Man, woman, young, old, race. It doesn't matter. Everybody has a seat at the table with Jesus through faith in him. Think about this. If, if God's in the draft room, you know, it's like, it's like I, I, I kind of liked, you know, following some of the NFL this, this past year. The San Francisco 49ers had some injuries and their QB was Brock Purdy at one point, And he was the very last pick of the NFL draft. And they have like a title for that. It's called Mr. Irrelevant. Like he's the last guy that picked. No one wanted him on his team. Here's Mr. Irrelevant and the Niners picked him up. Well, think about God in the draft room, right? Like, you know, the GMs and coaches are looking at talent 40 times. How much can you bench press? All these skills. If you're not a football person or sports, I'm sorry. I'm going to be done in like 30 seconds. We're getting there. I'm sorry. And then you got to watch it tonight with your husband or friend. I'm sorry, but we're getting there. And so... You know, uh, a manager, a GM is looking at uh, the skills, the talents, all these things and say, okay, I want, Lion said, I want Aiden Hutchinson on my team. Number two pick. He's got it going on. I want him on my team. What does God do? He looks at us and does he look at your talent, at your skills, at what you can accomplish? He sees us in our mess, in our brokenness. No way to get to him on our own. And he says, I will come to you in your brokenness and mess and through my death, bring you on my team through faith in me. You're on his team, not because of what you did, but because of what he did. So that when the world looks at you, they don't say, wow, he or she's got it going on. They say, wow, God's got it going on. Because it was by his grace, it was by his mercy, it was for his glory that I got on the team. And now I'm a son or a daughter. Why? Because he picked me, not because of what I did, but by his grace. And so Paul reminds Timothy, encourage people to be trained in godliness, not to receive salvation, but because we're a family of God and we desire the things of God because he's already given us everything we need. And finally, we are consistent in our devotion to the scripture. Here's what Paul tells Timothy in verses 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress." 
keep a close watch, and here's that verse again, on yourself or your life and your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. So Paul encourages Timothy, look, Timothy, as the leader of this church, as you guide God's people, how do you do it? You do it with God's word. He says, Timothy, stay devoted to the scripture. How do you fight against drift and false teaching? It's by going back to the word of God and speaking that to the people of God. It's not your own opinion. It's not your own philosophies. It's not your own way, Timothy. It's pointing people back to the word of God to be the people of God. It's pointing people back to the message of Jesus to look like Jesus. It's pointing people back to the hope of the resurrection to live out the hope that's in the word of God. He says, stay devoted to the scripture. You know, just recently I uh, installed a shelf for my 20-month-year-old son. And thankfully this is a good story, you know, and like not, didn't fall on or anything, you know, if you thought I was going there. Uh, so, which, you know, I'm not the best uh, guy at installing shelves, so it's still there. You know, let's hope it stays there. But to install this shelf, uh, you know, I pretty much knew what to do. You know, there's holes, screws, you know, you get out the drill, you put it on the wall, get a level, things like that. But there was a couple points where it was like, uh, you know, something my wife bought online and like the, it was a little bit confusing. I'll blame it on that versus my own inability to hang a shelf. But I had to go back to the instructions to actually hang the shelf. Now, why did I do that? Because one, I knew I could just hear maybe after the shelf falling, my wife saying, did you read the instructions to hang the shelf? But two, more importantly, uh, is I didn't want the shelf falling on my son. I didn't want someone getting hurt. I didn't want as my son's playing cars and reading books in his room, his bookshelf to come crashing down on him. So in order to keep my son safe and to protect him, I went to the instructions. What Paul is saying to Timothy here is, look, how do you guide God's people? There's a, there's a rule of life that God has given to us. There's an instruction to how to be godly and how to love others and how to know his love. It's his word. Stay devoted to his word as you instruct his people. And we as Woodside Bible, pastors will come and go, but what will stay steady in the church for years to come is the word of God is proclaimed. The word of God is preached because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's what we stand on as Christians. It's what we proclaim as pastors. And it's what we're founded on so we stay true to who Jesus is and what he's called us to do. But finally, I love that Timothy is challenged to not just hold firm to the teaching and doctrine, but to make sure his life lines up with it as well. See, he doesn't want Timothy to become a good Bible teacher and a jerk. Like, he doesn't want Timothy to be equipped in reading and preaching God's word, but ill-equipped in leading his family and being kind to other people. See, if we elevate one more than the other and we forget our life as followers of Jesus and we elevate the doctrine of uh, the words of Jesus, which, don't get me wrong, right knowledge leads to right living, so it's important to be founded on the word of God, but then it's important to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we live a godly life. And Paul is encouraging Timothy to not just keep his doctrine set and the truth proclaimed right, but to do it in a right way to live a Christ-like life so that you're not just a gifted speaker of God's word publicly and then a detached spouse or parent at home. So that you're not just a leader, but someone who's a jerk to others. 
so that you can't just quote the Bible with ease, but are unaware of your reactivity towards others in a negative way. He doesn't want someone that just prays regularly, but is judgmental or critical of others and justifies their decisions because of their knowledge of God or his word. He doesn't want uh, us to just be known by the things that are in the Bible instead of our interactions with others. He desires right doctrine and right living. It's amazing at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives this great sermon and this great illustration, and then he gives this illustration of uh, people who built, uh, someone who built a house on an unsturdy foundation. And when the storm came, the, the house fell, and it was an analogy given in the sense that when someone, uh, when the house fell, it was as if someone uh, heard the word but didn't live out the word. And what Jesus' command is, is to not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. He said, the wise man hears the word and does the word. Paul says to Timothy, look, be a pastor who preaches the word, but also lives out the word. Who encourages people to look to Jesus, but then look like Jesus. And as a church family, we're going to fall, we're going to fail, but by the grace of God, we're going to come back to the scripture. We're going to encourage each other in the scripture so we can continue to go in the ways of Jesus in both our doctrine and our life. In conclusion, is why do we do all this? It's because at the end of the day, we desire to be a church that together keeps the faith. We don't want to just individually keep the faith, but we want to keep the faith as a church. We want to experience the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want anyone to depart from the faith, but to remain steadfast in our trust and obedience to Christ, because that is how we experience his saving work. But to keep the faith, we must watch our lives and our doctrine through looking at Jesus and his word. So let's worship him and look to him together as a church family. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that we look to you and hear from you, God, that you are alive today, speaking to us. And so God, in areas of our life where we're struggling to submit to your word, where we're holding on to our own way or our own lives, we open our hands. Holy Spirit, help us to open our hands and surrender to you and say, God, your way, not my way. Lord, help us to hunger as a church family after you, Jesus, and your word, to even assess our own lives where maybe we haven't been in step with the gospel and we are going our own way or we are uh, letting distractions or things of this world take us off your word and your way. Help us realign, we repent, and turn to you, Jesus. We thank you for your grace that through faith in you, and your work on the cross, you've given us salvation, eternal life, and a relationship with you and your Holy Spirit. And so help us to do that as a church family, God, to hold on and celebrate what is good, to uh, stand firm on your word. And then, Lord, help us to share your word with others. That might be asking a friend to read the Bible with us. That might be sharing your word with a uh, family member or a friend, God, give us those opportunities this week to be the church to the world that desperately needs it, to be the light in the darkness by looking to you. Thank you so much for this church family. Pray for John, pray for the leaders, pray for everyone here this morning that God, we as a church family would continue to look to you as our Father and give you all the praise and all the glory for all that you've done and all that you're doing in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.